This is Somewhat About Wine, an inside perspective of the operations of a small Sierra Foothill winery and the characters who run it. It's five o'clock. As usual, Jordan, Nick, David, Morrison that is, and owner David Girard are hanging out over an after-hours glass of wine. Though their conversation is about wine, it bounces around between philosophy, music, education, small successes, big mistakes, life in general, cabbages and kings and more. Glad you could join us. Yes, this is Somewhat About Wine from David Gerard Vineyards. It's Friday, June 30th, and it's 5 o'clock. It's the end of our work day, but not the end of our work week. We are open for wine tastings every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Come visit us sometime when you have a chance. Thanks for joining us. Our, um, our podcast members of uh, Jordan Mingle, our winemaker, and David Morrison, our our uh, tasting room manager, and uh, Nick, who's, uh, as I've said so many times, is the glue that holds this joint together, uh, are off uh, for an event. So um, we have the good fortune to be with two very special guests, uh, John Phillips and Chris Barton. And um, I'm going to introduce them to you in a minute. But first, I want to tell you what wine we're drinking today. We're drinking a, a Viognier Roussan. And people come into the tasting room and they say, how do you pronounce that? Because it's spelled goofy like V-I-O. I'm going to have to look to see how it's spelled. It's V-I-G-N. And I don't have my glasses on. John, can you read that from where you are? Yes, I can. V-I-O-G-N-I-E-R. Now, thank you. So that's pronounced Viognier. Rhymes with Chardonnay. And that's the easiest way to remember it. So it's a, it's a French uh, Rhone-style uh, wine, and uh, Roussan is pretty easy because it's R-O-U-S-A-N-N-E. So Viognier Roussan. Um, these are, are dry white wine grapes, and, uh, and uh, we have blended them together. And depending on the year, the blend will be somewhat different, so there's no point in talking about percentages about um, this and that. But, but uh, it's a dry white wine. If, if, um, if you have the opportunity to taste one, and you may, if you want to switch from a Chardonnay sometime, which is a, a very nice uh, 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 grape in its own right, uh, but sometimes something else. Dry white wine, honeysuckle, lemon, nectarine spices, such as clove and nutmeg, relatively low in acid. Uh, the Roussan, that's the Viognier, the Roussan, um, you'll taste some peaches perhaps, herbs, um, Pears again, spices, and uh, um, it 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 is a it is a a good pairing. And speaking of pairing, uh, the this wine goes very well with chicken, low-fat pork, Thai food, salmon, seafood, uh, such as sea bass. So uh, that's what we're having today. Now, John, Chris, I want to thank you for being here. First of all, no, thank you. It's good to yeah, be here. You have written uh, what I regard as a wonderful book entitled Igniting Initiative, which is available on Amazon, and um, I'd love to talk to you a bit about it. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. We're all in. So I guess the first question would be, what inspired you to write the book? Sitting around, nothing to do. Well. We need to do, <laughs> fill the time. Not, not know, quite, right? <laughs> looking back, we've been asked that a little, quite a bit, actually, and we did a lot of years of um, teaching leadership as well as one-on-one -on -one mentoring um, 
for a lot of years for you know just just countless people and we enjoyed it and and we Chris and I had thought about different ways of encapsulating that in, into a a message we could leave after we went on from our careers no one had ever really done that no one had left their lessons learned in in um, in what they learned in their decades of, of leadership a lot of people we've worked with never did it and so I was listening to a podcast about writing a book, and I called Chris up, and I go, I think we could write a book. And then we, uh, we wrote the table of contents, and then didn't think much about it, and then we revisited it, and we started writing chapters, and, um, and all of a sudden it was done, and we thought, this is, this is pretty good. And our message we wanted to get across in that book was just, just one or two main things we learned that we think we could pass on that would be beneficial yeah. for someone to learn. So that was the origin of the book from, from my point of view. Chris, I, I don't know what you... Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, it, it's the message that we wanted to leave behind. You know, there was, to John's point, there were so many people that we've worked with and have been in contact with over our many, many years doing what we've done. And uh, it, it's so sad because the wealth of knowledge and in, in their leadership... Uh, there, there really wasn't anything left behind. And um, selfishly a little bit, I guess, John and I wanted to be able to, you know, uh, leave something behind for us to be able to say, look, you know, our, our kids and our grandkids can at least, you know, glean onto that and realize what their dad or grandfather or great-grandfather did one, uh, one of these times. And, you know, it's turned out to be a, a neat little project for us, and, and we're really proud of it. Oh, you should be. It's more than a neat little project. I, I enjoyed it very much. Now, you both have had a combined some 60 years mm-hmm. in the grocery business, mm-hmm. correct? And you, yes. You, and that's in, in one of the biggest uh, uh, grocery corporations on the West Coast um, mm-hmm. in, in, in a number of states. Um, how did that experience help you shape the message that you were, were trying to convey in the book? Well, in a lot of ways, it gave us the foundation that we really needed, and there was a lot of upbringing that came along with that. And our, you know, the company that we worked for um, had done a really good job of, you know, instilling a certain type of leadership and a, and a certain mindset that we needed to have. And John and I have always been uh, good collaborators together. And and the question that we would always ask ourselves is, what's next, or how could it be better? Or uh, how could we expand this to be different, uh, but different's a good thing. Um, and that, that's led us down paths that, you know, we never would have imagined. I mean, it led us to writing a book. And, and that's in a practical way. You're, you're going about um, the things you have to accomplish on a daily basis, mm-hmm. and you're thinking about that. And, and so, uh, as you said uh, earlier, is that's a culmination of, of putting all of that together in this book. Yeah. Yeah, I want to jump in a little bit on that too. Um, <clears throat> for years, for, for for really decades, the grocery business tends to be very reactive. There's so many moving parts. Uh, you walk in the front door, and it can be the Fourth of July, and you don't have any ice, and you, you have to have ice, or people call out sick, or I mean, it goes on and on. How fast things can change. Just when you think things are good, you have you know nine or ten different departments and. 12 or 13, 14 different leads, and, and just every hour something can happen. And what I observed, I actually went to work for a leader um, well into my leadership career that was actually proactive. 
And I couldn't believe it. I thought, I've only seen leaders that just were really good at reacting. And I thought, wow, this, this is a whole new thing I never thought of. And this person was taught me that and I and I, I, I saw it could be done and that changed everything and that was one of the main uh, messages we want to get into the book is you can really enjoy your job if you be proactive and, and try to put out fires before they happen mm. instead of being really good at at putting out fires after they happen and that was a lot of the genesis of you know the book as far as um, uh, organically how it arose well uh, the the title of the book is is uh, really engaging it's uh, uh, um, it's igniting initiative, and I and I love the co- cover, which has a match on it, uh, igniting. That was Chris. That was that was good. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, in in the book, uh, you talk about, and if there's a takeaway, uh, it was for me is the initiative part, yeah. um, and and you mentioned the power of initiative. What's that mean, and and why is it so important? Why did you focus on that? Well, it, everything. It be, be, being a proactive leader requires that it's it it really is the the match that lights that fire um you know we we often work in a in a in a way to john's point where being a reactive leader you don't show that you're you're told what to do you check boxes and you, you respond to problems uh after they happen uh showing the initiative to be able to be proactive in the approach and seeing things before they happen and having a a plan uh to be able to respond not react but respond in the proper way and actually having maybe two three uh responses for any type of issue that might come up that that's all from proactive planning and in 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 growth and john and i um you know we've grown through that and we've learned a lot and and trust me both of us could tell you stories of all the things that we made mistakes on uh, along this path, but we wouldn't have been able to really make those mistakes and learn and grow the way we had if we didn't take the initiative to jump off those bridges to begin with. And there's, there, there takes a certain level of fearlessness that goes along with that because oftentimes you're taking a risk. And, and showing that that initiative to be proactive and doing things before you're told or finding the issue before it's an issue, that's really, it's fearless, but it's also a skill. And it's something that you really have to, you know, fine tune. Hmm. Yeah. And one thing we noticed, um, <clears throat> a lot of times you walk in and things happen, issues arise, and you kind of scratch your head like, why didn't, why didn't somebody take care of this or why you know they should have saw this coming earlier and from that we included that in a lot of our interview questions we've interviewed really hundreds if not over a thousand done interviews had interviews of 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 leaders that were uh, applying and going for a leadership position or advancing in their leadership position and so we started including the question what have you done in the last six months to show initiative and it was painful. It's one of the lines in the book, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and, mm-hmm. uh, and it was painful over and over and over again. We would get the same answer. Oh, boy, that's a good question. I, I hmm. And so Chris and I, we, we're pretty good about, I think we both enjoy preparing leaders for an interview when they have one coming up. So they're interviewing for a, a leadership position, and we'll spend time with them preparing them for this interview. And when we do that, we'll say, you know, this question's coming. What have you done in the last six months to show initiative? And 
and where they get lost is they think they have to come up with this grandiose, amazing thing, and they don't. Hmm. Initiative can be just something where you read a book, and you, you, you read a book hmm. on a leader, and you implemented some small thing in the store, but you did it. And that's a leader's dream is when I see that, and I walk in and someone says, hey, let me show you something that I did that I on my own accord. I'm like, wow, I can hear I can hear the angels singing. It's like, this is fantastic. This is really good. So that over the years we kept noticing this was a this was a a need to get people to understand you can show initiative. You can't you need to have self-development. And so Chris and I both were advocates of that, and then that that grew into a lot of the book. So you mentioned you mentioned uh, in the book the importance of focus and identifying one's dream scenario as a starting point for taking the initiative. How, how would I know how to recognize that and, and, and well, when, when, when to focus? You, you could take something as simple as your garage, and you could, you could say in your garage, my dream scenario is I can pull my car into my garage. <laughs> I know where every tool is in my, in my, in my garage. That is a dream. I, I know, <laughs> I know uh, you know, my... Uh, my, my all the rakes are, are hanging and easy to grab when I'm going to do lawn work or yard work, whatever. So that's just an example. And, and whatever. And the nice thing about the book is it really applies to not just the grocery business. Everybody can use initiative and step back from whatever field they're in, and just step back and go, what would what would it look like if it was in a dreams, you know, desired state? What would that look like? And and you, it doesn't even have to go in that order. You could take your your current state. And, and list all your current state of whatever issue you want to attack and then go to your desired state. Or we, we just chose desired state first and then current state. But the desired state is, is what if. And, and I think that's where critical thinking comes in. We talk about that in the book. I think you need to get away. You need, you need to get out of your office. You need to go to a, to a Starbucks or you need to go take a drive or take a walk. Steve Jobs used to do a lot of walks and just think. Just get away from your current routine and then ask yourself, what what if what would it be like if this issue wasn't there and and what it would what would it be like if this issue was running smooth and that's where you become that's where you can really get a focus on your desired state um you mentioned critical thinking uh critical thinking comes up a lot in in education it comes up particularly at the university level um i remember talking about it uh, actually in law school and and focus as well as trying to identify issues and then think about them critically. What's it mean to you uh, in in the context of, of the book? Well, I, it, it's really taking it, it form and action steps. You know, you, you, you got to use a lot of critical thinking to, to as your, you know, your fuel in a way to get from your point A to point B. Mm. And, and that critical thinking is going to help you look at things logically and in an objective way that that can get you to your goal sometimes if we don't take a step back like john had mentioned before uh your your critical thinking diminishes a little bit because you're not thinking clearly when you're assessing the state to begin with you know taking a break from it and walking away and and being able to actually develop something um is what's really the, one of the key focuses to this. And, and without that, you can't get to that critical thinking level. You know, it, it's not something that you can just snap your fingers and all of a sudden I'm thinking a certain way. You have to kind of break away and, and have a proper way of looking at it. So it's not just linear thinking 
in, in, in a, a progressive way. It could be global thinking. Very much so. But you need to have, you need that time, that space, that uh, freedom. Yes. To consider alternatives. Yes. And one proven fact is, that, you know, if you went up to David Gerard Vineyard and you just did some wine tasting and you just sat on a cool breeze and just kind of sat back and and let your mind think differently, really. I mean, whether it's going to the vineyard and having a wine tasting or going to a Starbucks or whatever, you have to break the routine of, of get up every day, drive to work, park in the same parking spot, drive in. And if you can break that up, then you can start thinking about your desired state and then like chris said use your action Mm. steps from there Mm. but you need to break that routine the area of planning also enters into the picture and uh as does keeping score Uh, a quote is attributed to uh, warren buffett the wizard of omaha when asked about his wealth he said that it's just a way of keeping score is that the sense in which you use the concept of keeping score um honestly to me the biggest scorekeeping is, are you, did you implement an action step? Mm. If, your score, if your scorecard is going to be, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean, I'm going to organize my warehouse, it's going to be perfectly uh, efficient, and I'm going I'm to go through all that, and it doesn't work, does that mean that you didn't have a victory? I don't think so. I think, to me, is did you take the time to, to do two, three, four things differently than you were doing before? Mm-hmm. And then learn from that, and then maybe your scoreboard is going to show up later on as a win. But I think it's already a win where you where you implemented something different that you were not doing with your best effort to maybe get a better result. That would be my scorecard. I don't know about you, Chris. You know, you're your own best scorekeeper. You know, there's one person on this this lovely world that we live in that you will never be able to lie to, and you cannot lie to yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're going through the proper steps and if you're thinking the right way, if you're achieving your goal, you're the only one deep down inside that knows if you did that and if you did it the way you were supposed to do that. You, you might be able to mask a lot of things, but you're really, truly the only one who's really going to know. One of the criticisms of many businesses uh, and government today is that they think short term. Uh, do you agree with that? And can uh, initiative help mitigate that problem? I've always been a little bit more of a big picture guy, and and the long term play has always been something that I've tried to, um, tried to keep focused on. I, I see the short term as almost little action steps to get to the long term goal. Um, short term goals are necessary, but they're almost micro uh, action steps to get to your short term goal, which really gets you to the long term play. Um, that's the way I've always looked at it. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and that, that applies to a lot of things. I mean, that, that, that applies to business, that applies to sports, any organization. Heck, that, that even, you know, relates to raising children. You know, my long-term play was to raise two happy, healthy mm-hmm. baby girls. And there were short-term goals along the way to get there. And then, of course, the long-term play is they're, they're off and running and, and living life on their own. Yep. Um, so there's a healthy mix, but if you're only, to your point, if you're only playing the short-term game, you're going to lose in the long run. Hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. The one, the one thing I would add to that is I do believe in small wins. I think that um, people try to have too big of a grandiose goal, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but, man, small wins can really be great. And, and I think in the book we talked about, maybe you just take 
uh, you know, a day to clean your office and make it much more efficient. And, but I mean, really do it right. Really take action steps. How am I going to clean it? How, what, what is going to be different when I'm done? What, what are the main, you know, my current, my desire, my current state, what, what is, what do I keep having the same trouble with it all the time? How can I change that? How can I turn it into something running efficiently? And that's not a big giant project. That's, but a small win can lead to long-term big wins. There's a lot of talk in the last few years about the importance of influencers from Kim Kardashian to Snoop Dogg to Taylor Swift's cat, for God's sake. <laughs> uh, do you think paying attention to influencers has any role in, in uh, leadership and ultimate success? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, being a leader, you can't always lead the same way. And it's going to take growth on your part to be able to continue growing as a leader. And that's going to require you to look at different opinions and, and different ways of thinking, especially thinking that's not like yours, um, opinions that are not like yours. Um, I believe that's always kind of help you stretch and grow a little bit. Uh, now, do I always believe in an influencer? No, no. Will I listen to them more than once? Sometimes. But, um, you know, uh, we're all influencers to each other in some ways. Um, but yeah, I think that's a, that's a good thing. You know, influencers come up in a couple ways in the book. Um, <clears throat> we are all really affected by our peers and who we're around and how they do things, whether it's our parents or whatever. And in the business we were in, we were very affected by the leaders and how they did it. And I, one thing I was really glad about when I started learning about proactive leadership, and one, one of the reasons we wanted to write the book was that instead of teaching you know, in, at the end of my career, instead of teaching people to be good at being reactive, which I could have very easily done, I, I felt I did as good a job as I could about tr training them to be proactive and look ahead. And, and I think that's a pretty good gift. And so as far as influencing and influencers, I hoped my influence would be to create proactive leaders as well as writing the book. But we are, we are all really influenced by the leaders we're around. And if we can influence them Proactively, that's wonderful. And then we also talked about when you roll out a new idea that you're going to try, you are going to have negative influencers. And um, I think it, just the fact to, to talk with them in advance, not to try to get them over onto your side, but maybe just let them express their feelings and so that they're not going to be dragged down the rest of the group is really powerful. And if you ever do get a negative influencer that actually buys in and believes in it, then you've really struck some gold there and you're really going to get some positive energy to attaining your goal. Mm -hmm. So when you when you mentioned influencers, those were the two things I've thought about. So if you have um, if you have somebody who's who you're you're trying to encourage to show initiative, they do, it doesn't work out. Um, then you're left with the dilemma, are you not, that you, you don't want to criticize them because then that would that would retard uh, other uh, tries at, at taking the initiative, and yet you have to solve the problem. How do you go about that? Well, you learn by mis making mistakes, mm -hmm. and you have to have a, a, a culture to be able to allow for that. And and part of your as a leader, and part of your planning for you know your team or your, your group of leaders is you have to you know allow a certain little piece for failure and how to respond to that and you know the power of your words and how you respond to when one of your you know people fail or make a mistake actually can be worse 
than just making the mistake on their own. Um, a lot of times, some of my best successes, not only in my career, but also my personal life, have come from something that I failed at. Hmm. Uh, we're a small uh, operation here, as, as you know, um, uh, but I'm sometimes amazed at the communication problems we have. Even though we're small, you'd think we talk to each other every day, and we do. Uh, nevertheless, uh, these uh, these uh, passing uh, in the night problems uh, uh, persist. What are some common mistakes businesses, both large and small, make from a communication standpoint? And what does lack of communication um, mean uh, from the standpoint of inhibiting success? One thing I noticed um, in my career was whenever I got a new leader that was going to join my team, I always took a long time to prepare for that first meeting. And um, I would do a lot of, I do a lot of critical thinking and I would list out my 15, 25 topics, whatever I was going to do. Um, and, and spent, spent a, I mean, I'm talking two, three hours with them, just, just, but having a conversation, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a, a monologue, just me, me, this is the way we're going to do it around here because this, you know, this is how I want it done. It was more about a clear understanding of the expectations of the operation that was going on so that when a new leader is brought in, they're either, they understand it and they're, they're either on board or you kind of identify maybe they're not. But I think communication in, in the very beginning is key to getting, to getting a, a um, uniform message across, this is where we're going. And um, these are these are the things that are important to me. How do you feel about that, David? How, how do you how does that work with you? Mm-hmm. And you have to be you have to go be open enough to hear their response back. And the response back may not be exactly what you want, but is it the same general message? If it is, great. And like Chris was talking about earlier, you have to you have to um, make sure that you're open minded to under to to let them do what they want to do in their way but the end of the day is can we reach these common goals but if they never know the common goals from from day one then you're going to have really big communication problems until until you all understand these are our goals these are where we're going and these are the different forms we can we can use to get to those goals you know it's interesting about what you just said among other things is i didn't hear you need a meeting once every friday from uh, 12 to 3 to go over uh Chris, you're shaking your head now. No, I, I think they're overrated. I think I think it's more valuable to have water cooler discussions. You know, yeah, I agree. Everybody's just coming around. Hey, hey, Dave. So how's it going? What's what's? No, really, talk to me. What's? Is it good? Is it bad? How, how you feeling about things? And everybody just needs to get their thoughts out. And if you have an environment where or a person feels safe that way, then you you really hit pay dirt as far as productivity and attaining goals and and people having fun and enjoying their job. And yeah, a, a meeting every Friday, it has some value, but the real value is can you connect in that relationship with each one of your reports so they feel comfortable interacting with you? I'm canceling our Friday meeting. Yeah. <laughs> starting, <laughs> starting now. Uh, you, you talk a bit about uh, the launch of a planning, uh, of a plan. Um, do plans need to be launched with fanfare? Or are you simply talking about quiet implementation or could launch uh, mean either one? No, I don't. I, I think 
there are there are certain times when fanfare is fun and we're we're gonna we're gonna kill this and we're gonna make this happen and that's fun and we did our share of that in in certain instances but um to me putting fanfare aside to me it's it's buy-in you know if you've got if you've got 10 employees and your goal is to reduce your overtime by from three percent to one percent then the key is individual buy-in to make sure that everybody knows the action steps we're going to take to attain that and 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 empathetically listening to to the responses back to that but there certainly doesn't need to be now, now there are times for fanfare don't get me wrong but the majority of the time it's just hey this is this is the plan i am i i thought of on my critical thinking and what do you think think we can make this happen individual conversations versus fanfare you know it's the same if you were like a you know a basketball or football coach you know you're gonna change your offense or you're gonna change your defense you know you, you have some of those conversations ahead of time and when it's time for implementation everybody's already on board because they already know it's coming so mm -hmm. you know it, it, the, the 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 steps that we're putting forth here it applies to so many more things than mm -hmm. you know business or just what we do uh you know anything really in in a failure to launch is more tragic than it's exactly what i was going to say you know are, but what, what's worse, are you just going to do nothing? Yeah. Are you going to come in and do the same thing you've done every day and expect different results? Are you going to just be reactive and get really good at being reactive? Or are you going to get four or five action steps and have a, through critical thinking, and, and, and apply an, an, an attack to this and get the crew bought in, not necessarily in fanfare, but get them bought in? Well, that was exactly the word that was going through my mind uh, was the buy-in. Uh, especially, Chris, when you talked about the uh, getting the uh, basketball or football team mm -hmm. um, to uh, work out a new uh, strategy or a new plan. Mm -hmm. If you don't have buy-in, it's going to be pretty much chaotic. Yes. Yeah. Um, we talked a bit about risk uh, and mistakes, uh, and um, and and uh, and I think fear of change too fits into that picture. I've heard it said uh, in Japanese businesses that at least in their culture, it's risky to stand out from the crowd because the highest nail usually gets pounded down. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever heard that. I, don't I know have. If it, I, I have, have too. Yeah. So how does that, how does that, uh, 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 is that something that's, that's unique to, to a different culture or is that something that you worry about too? I think everybody does. I think everybody's a little worried about about what their boss is going to think if you if if you try something or what their peers are going to think i mean i mean the, you know we, uh the the book we we kind of stood out by writing the book and and i think that um um that's where greatness happens though yeah you know that the, i i just i i i just love being able to try something and see if it's going to work and you know maybe in fact we talk about this a lot in the book Many people, when they're asked, "What have you done in the last six months to show initiative?" It's because they've never had a chance. They've never been. They've never had a leader say, "I, I think, take a week and think about it, David. What do you, you know? What you come back to me and if you want to try something, I'm, I'm in. We'll, we'll try it. We'll give it a try." And so, so, I just think many people aren't afraid to be that nail that's too high that's going to get hammered down. I just think they've never had even had the concept mm -hmm. in their mind that, that, "Wow, you really? You want me to try something? Okay, I think <laughs> yeah. I will." 
Yeah, life's full of risks. We, you have to have it. I mean, if, if we weren't taking risks, we'd still be living in caves and pounding rocks to get a spark or something. But, uh, you know, you're, you're not going to hit them all. You're just not. And, and the belief in yourself, uh, the belief in the people around you, uh, if you're good people, they're good people, you're going to have a good result no matter what. If the worst thing that happens is that you learn something because it failed, that's still a win because the next time you'll know better and it just grows from there and and you want to spirit a culture of that rather than um you know being reluctant to move because that falls you into the trap of being so reactive that that reminds me of a story where where it's our second book's coming out pretty quick and in in there's a chapter in it um i had a i had a leader we were selling these, uh, they were charity bags or a $10 charity bag during the holidays to help out. And you want to sell as many as you can and it helps the food banks and, and, um, it's a really powerful thing. And I asked him, I went in and it was the beginning of December. How many of these bags have you sold? And he, he, he kind of sheepishly said, I haven't sold any yet, you know, and I wasn't thinking much of it. And, and then the next morning I came into work and there was a piece of paper on my desk with one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. There was like twelve bags that he sold, hmm. and I. He came into my office later that day, and I said, what, "What's this about?" He goes, "He goes, you know, I'm, I'm an introvert, and I'm, I'm inherently kind of quiet. And you kind of made me think about it, and I, I challenged myself to sell these bags. I said, "Wow, that's great. Well, good for you." And I wasn't even, I wasn't trying to make it. I was just talking to him in the break room. So. This went on day after day. He ended up selling 515 of those bags wow. in, during the holidays, which is a lot of sales, and it's a lot for charity. And then I was transferred to a different location the next year, and, and it was January, and I, I was going through my mail, and I got this interdepartmental mail, and I opened it up, and I put it onto my desk, and all these sheets of paper came out with these one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> and there's a note from him that said... Uh, I sold 777 bags this year because I'm an aviation nut and I like the Boeing 777. So that was my goal and I did it. Thank you for your inspiration. Wow. And so people aren't that afraid of being the, the nail that's high that's going to get beat down. Mm-hmm. I, I think they what's needed is a little bit of ignition like Chris was talking about. Just a little bit of a, David, I believe in you. I think I think we can do this. And then magical things happen. You spent uh, um, some time in the book uh, talking about teamwork and emphasizing teamwork. What are some of the biggest obstacles to teamwork in your experience? Is it organizational, size, wrong people on the bus, government regulations, overburden, union contracts? What, what is it? I think uh, many of us are familiar with the, the, uh, the line in Cool Hand, Luke, saying, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Uh, I wonder if it's that. You know, I, you, that's a great question. Um, I think I think a lot of times it's very situational. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that depending on what you're dealing with will, you know, determine your pitfalls. Um, communication, sometimes someone always feels like they didn't get the word or, you know, it wasn't, you know, broken down well enough. Um, there's always going to be a hole that someone's going to be able to poke through something. Um, I don't know if there's one particular thing that is always the culprit. I think, uh, again, if, 
you, you, you've run your plan, right? You try to minimize all of that, you know, minimize your risk and taking the risk. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. She... Teamwork is a big one. I mean, look at the NFL teams and the NBA teams and, and organizations, and it, it takes a lot of energy. And, and, and you have so many different characters. I just watched The Last Dance with Michael Jordan on there, and they're talking about how Phil Jackson was amazing about how he handled Dennis Rodman and, you know, and, 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 and had this soup of different personalities and made it all work. And so it's hard. And so the skill is to, is to do your best to understand the individual talents and have, I think, for me, what worked for me was again, the, the, the individual talks with each individual leader mm-hmm. so that at least I had a good relationship and understanding who they were for who they were. If you don't get past that, then you're really going to... I don't know if your team is going to be running as efficiently as it can because there's just... An, everybody's different. Yeah. And everybody's going to attack a situation different. And that's okay. You need to embrace that because that's how, that's how you become the best team is the ones that embrace the individuality of attacking things differently, but you start with individual relationships and discussions with each person, and then everybody becomes unified, and that's powerful. It, it you know, and it is because you can't make someone or turn someone into something that they're not. There are things that people will just never be able to do, and that's okay. Your role as a leader is to create the best version of them, and if you can get that they add to the team in a really great way that they've never added before. And that's what instills the confidence. And maybe, maybe a year or two down the road, maybe they look at their own self-development and, and become the thing that they want it to be. But you can't pound that nail into anybody uh, over and over and over again and expect them to be what you want them to be. You have to accept that they're going to be the best version of who they are. Who do you think might best benefit from the principles and practices that you lay out in your book? Um, would it be a small winery like ours, uh, government, large corporations, educational institutions? Uh, but who, who were you? Who did you have in mind when you were writing the book? I, I think we, we've had a lot of different. We've been asked that quite a bit, and we've actually been given some pretty good feedback on that too. Um, I, I I tackled this wanting to help just that emerging or struggling leader out there, regardless of where they were or what field they were in, uh, the, the topics that we cover here and the principles that were in there um, uh, apply to a, a vast array of, of things that are you know revolving leadership and helping people see things uh, not only about themselves, but getting them to see things in the people that work for them or they're on their team. Um, I, I think it'll apply. I've heard you know government agencies been thrown at me. You know retail's been thrown at me. Uh, coaches have been thrown at me, um, and and I think there there are things in there that apply to all. And I think we've done a pretty good job of trying to make it not generic, but being able to field all of that, not come from a certain point of view of where we come from. We wanted to have a little bit more of a wide array of things. Well, I must tell you, um, that was my my impression on reading the book and why I liked it so much is uh, it had that. um, uh, It had that uh, uh, sense that it applied. It had universal application. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that's one of the great strengths of your book. Yeah. One thing we talk about in the book, too, is is you control the narrative. Mm-hmm. 
man, there's nothing worse than your boss coming in. And this applies kind of across the board, but your boss comes in and notices something that isn't right. And then you got to fix it. And, you're, and that's okay. We all do that and we'll fix it and we'll make it better. And then they'll come in and say, good, you know, that's the way it should have been or whatever. But boy, there's nothing gratifying, more gratifying than when you step aside and go, what would my boss see before he comes and looks at it? And maybe I can fix this before he ever sees it. And then when he comes in, I'm going to show him what I fixed before he saw it. Then you're 10 times more energized Mm -hmm. to attack this because you haven't got beaten down from your boss. And that was a message I think that's kind of universal for whoever. When um, Elon Musk's SpaceX rocket blew up uh, some four to six weeks ago, he was quoted to the effect that one should make mistakes as fast as possible so you can fix them and improve as fast as possible. Do you agree with that? 100%. Why? You can't grow unless you make mistakes. And the quicker you can make them, the quicker you can grow. Um, to use his terminology, but I mean, it works. Sometimes you're going to win some, sometimes you're going to lose some. And, um, you know, sometimes you're going to go through stretches where you've had success after success. And sometimes you're going to run through a dry streak where it seems like nothing works. I, I know I've been there. There's a saying that if you're not humble, humility will find you. <laughs> um, I learned, I learned that kind of later in my career, <clears throat> but, but, um, but you really, you know, humility is really powerful. Mm-hmm. And um, you don't learn a lot when things are going good and the sea's all smooth and you're just cruising right along. When the sea gets rough is when you really you really become, you, you, you learn tools and you learn skills. And so um, f- failure should be taught to, to leaders coming up. There should be a discussion with, with young leaders that are working their web that it's going to happen, it's going to come. And then they're going to be more um, at home with it when it happens. So uh, it's a key part to leadership. If you were going to, if you were forced, forced to make one single recommendation uh, that's contained in your book, what would it be? Don't be afraid to take the risk. John, you think? Uh, mine, I, I'm going to sneak two in, David. I'm sorry. Right. Mine is is proactive leadership. And you control the narrative. I think, I think it's so rewarding if you look at a problem before it's going to happen and you fix it before your boss finds it. They're going to love you. You're going to feel great about it. You're going to get 10x more value out of it if you take the time to look at issues before they happen. Do you think the problem, um, if not the problem, the difficulty with getting things accomplished uh, through initiative might just be beyond most people's ability? I think, boy, that's a great question. What I'm seeing now, it's something that's not been instilled in people today. Um, I think a lot of what I'm starting to see are uh, leaders that have been raised to do what they've been told to do and check a lot of boxes. And um, the job gets done, and it gets done the way that they were told it was going to get done. But um, I always walk away from that going, where, really, where was your growth? How did you get any better? You can only read off a list and check so many boxes, and 10 years from now, you're still going to be reading down the list and checking all those boxes. Um, if you don't look at yourself and, and realize that you're worth that investment, 
to be able to kind of stretch and, and maybe take that risk, um, you're going to be doing that forever. And I don't wish that upon anybody. I, I, I want to follow up a little on that. If, if you have 100 leaders, yeah, you're going to have 10 or 15 or 20 that just don't have the capacity. And that's okay. Um, they're as high as they're going to go, or maybe they just don't have zero desire. They like, they like to be a role player. And that's great. And that goes back to my comments earlier where just find out what, how people tick. But I also think out of those 100, there's 30, 40, 50 that have never had anybody believe in them, had never anybody challenge them to, to, to let's hear your ideas. And that's where the, the concept of initiative is, is fun. And the other thing is I think initiative can be thought of maybe higher up, you know, executives might worry that if I, if, you know, if you tell everybody to show initiative, they're going to try all these crazy things and they're not going to follow the company's overall arching policies and all that. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying they have to completely change what the company's about. We're, we're just saying, do you have a little idea that you want to try that you think you can make something improve a process, not improve a policy that's yeah. different. You mentioned a new book. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it. Go, no, go ahead. We, we it, it's funny. It's actually a little bit of a byproduct of this book. Um, you know, a lot of things and a lot of ideas were swirling around every day when we were on the phone driving home. Um, and essentially, we had the second book almost written before we had this book done. Mm. And uh, we're, we're working on the number, but it's... Things we wish we would have known before we got into leadership. Is that the title? That's partial. That's not that's, bad. That's partial no. title. Yeah. Um, this book, we wanted to kind of keep it a little generic, and it, it was a little dry. We, we'll admit it. it. There wasn't a lot of fun stories in it and stuff. So the next book is fun stories. Yeah. A little bit more story driven. And, and um, both of the books, the way we looked at it was we wanted to give a gift to new or, or or not new leaders that maybe this gift for them will make their job easier and more rewarding when they're walking into work from their car they're excited to go to work and so the second book has whatever the number is 25 or whatever um kind of kind of stories of wisdom that we learned each one is a story that has a lesson that we learned mm-hmm. that we used for years afterwards. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, came from failure. It came from failure, yeah. And so the thought is 25 things I wish I would have known before I got into leadership. Well, here you go. You can read this and you can do this early instead of waiting like we had to do. Well, with that in mind, it's about time to close up shop. Um, I can't thank you both enough for taking the time to visit here and and share your wisdom and your knowledge and, and your experience with us. Um, uh, I'm going to make a lot of changes around here. Uh, <laughs> I'll also make a lot more mistakes, but I'm pretty used to that, so it should That's work out right. fine. Thank you. Thank oh, you so very much. Thank you. Well, I just, yeah, thank you, David. Thank you for, we were blown away that you wanted us to be on this podcast. Yeah. We, we were, I called Chris up and he w- we were just thrilled. And then when we, Chris hadn't been to the winery, and when he, when he drove in, I mean, his jaw just dropped. He it's just, impressive. He just was like, wow. And so for you to take the time to have us at this beautiful winery and to and to just offer us to be on a podcast with you, we are so humbly yeah. thankful for you. And um, 
and look forward to if you want to do it again we'd love to do it again love maybe to when, when the well i would love out. to do it again thank you for that offer uh when your when your new book comes out we're going to do it again hi listeners nick here jumping in at the end uh just to say thank you as always for tuning in um, and to give you some information about the vineyard you can call or text us at 530-295-1833 or send an email to club, that's C-L-U-B, at davidgerardvineyards.com. Or stop by for a tasting. We're here Friday through Sunday from 11 a.m. until 5 p.m. Thanks as always. We'll see you next time.